so is anyone else feeling a little stressed out with the whole inauguration, election, transition situation? Is anyone else feeling a little stressed out, a little anxious, a little fearful? I know that um, if uh, you're on social media, you might be a little stressed out. I, I read a great post, uh, I think it was this morning, an uh, old friend of mine from my high school youth group said, remember when Facebook was was fun and people posted encouraging thoughts and and cute pictures of their family? Yeah, that was fun, you know, because these days the uh, whole political climate just seems a little scary and a little snarky. So the question I wanted to talk about tonight is how should we as Christians respond to the new president, the transition, the election, and really just the general negative cultural and political climate that we seem to find ourselves in. Like I said, I don't know about you, but I've been feeling a little depressed, a little anxious this week. And uh, this, this particular election cycle, I think, is the worst that I've ever seen in, in my memory. Um, there's just sort of the lack of trust and lack of dialogue, productive dialogue, a lot of name calling, but I don't really call that dialogue. Um, promotion of a lot of fear, propagation of a lot of fear. And I, I don't know about you, but man, I woke up yesterday morning on Saturday morning and I could just like feel it in my soul. And it was just really taking a toll on me. And I thought maybe, maybe it's taking a toll on you, but man, I was feeling down. So I kind of came up with three points here on, I think, just connected to the Christian worldview and the election. I'm not saying these are the only three points that can be made. I'm not even saying these are the best three points. I'm just saying these are the three points that, for me, have been helpful in the last couple of days, sort of calming my emotions down and giving me more of a Christian perspective on this. And maybe it'll help you out, and I'll look forward to seeing your comments about that. Um, number one, the first point that I want to make is that the Bible seems to teach that God puts kings, and I would say also he puts presidents in power. And I've got a couple passages to kind of talk through with you on this issue. And the first one is Daniel chapter two. And, you know, I think the idea that God raises up kings, he raises up leaders, he raises up presidents is a very controversial idea for many people, but this does seem to be the biblical point of view. So in Daniel chapter two, starting around uh, verse 19, it's Daniel's having a vision. And then he, he praises the God of heaven and he says, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And Daniel says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now the context here is that Daniel's asking the Lord for an interpretation of uh, the king's dream. But as part of that prayer, I find it interesting that he makes the point that even this, this king, which history tells us Nebuchadnezzar was a fairly evil king, fairly ruthless. And Daniel's saying that even this king, God puts kings in power. And I would say that 
that is sort of a, a universal idea that speaks to the providence of God. And that we could say that even today, generally speaking, God puts kings and presidents in power. And I would say that includes even the president you don't like. So, you know, if you're on the more liberal end of things and you really like President Obama, you don't like Trump, um, think about it through that lens that God puts kings and, and presidents in power. And if you're if you didn't like Obama, but you do like Trump, think of think of the reverse. Um, I think it's also an important point to understand that sometimes God uses evil and, and pagan kings. Um, we see in scripture how God uses King Nebuchadnezzar. He uses King Xerxes uh, in the book of Esther to save the Jews and to, to reverse the edict and, well, not reverse the edict, but to allow them to defend themselves. Um, and also King Cyrus was used by, by God to uh, help the Jews. So we see that, that sometimes God can use and he works through pagan kings that, that don't even fear him or know him. Sometimes they have some knowledge of him, but it's not necessarily a personal knowledge. Uh, they're not exactly practicing Jews. They don't convert all the way. And so this is an interesting dynamic that we see of scripture. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 13, too, as a New Testament passage. Paul says in the book of Romans, he's got this whole kind of mini sermon in there. It says, starting in verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And that, that really echoes Daniel's prayer back in Daniel chapter 2. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason." They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. In other words, it's, it's just the right thing to do. Um, and this is why you pay taxes, he says in verse 6. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, this is a very difficult teaching, I think, for us as Americans in the 21st century because we know of many corrupt kings and and um, even think at, at this time when, when Paul's writing and shortly after that, there were many corrupt Caesars. But God commanded his people to, you know, respect, have some respect for the authority that's over you. And, and nowhere in this passage, I find it fascinating, does he say, respect them if they're godly, or respect them if they fear the Lord, or respect them if they're good people. Um, it's just sort of this acknowledgement that kings and leaders and Caesars and I think presidents are just part of the, the established authority and that we as Christians, part of what we do is to respect them and to submit to uh, law and order and, and their authority. 
On the other hand, that's not to say that God commands his people to blindly submit to all authorities um, without any reservation. After all, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are brought before the Jewish authorities, and basically they tell them, look, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. And so what we learn from this is that, yes, God puts leaders in power. Yes, his people ought to respect and obey those leaders, but that our first allegiance is to God. And so when there is a direct conflict between what God commands his people to do and uh, what the human laws say, then, you know, a certain amount of uh, what we call civil disobedience seems appropriate. Now, within our current governmental system here in the U.S., you know, there's there's wide latitude for how that can be expressed because we can have a thoughtful uh dialogue or expression of our viewpoints through peaceful protests. Uh, that's allowed. It's not a problem. Now, rioting and property damage are different issues. Those are not allowed. Those are illegal. But peaceful protest is protected speech. If we don't like a particular representative, we can vote them out of office. That's a very big difference between us and the first century. Um, if we don't like a law, we can lobby to change laws. So within our system, respect can still take on a, some different forms. It doesn't mean we have to agree with all the laws or that we have no conscience. But as we're going about our business and as we're protesting or voting people out of office or lobbying to change things, I think that the, the injunction from Paul is that we go about it in a, a, a lawful, respectful way of doing it. I think the best summary of the whole matter is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. So yes, within our system, peaceful protests are a great thing. It's a great gift and provision that we have. But I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that Christians should be saying things like screw our president and other kind of verbal word curses over him or cheering when Madonna mentions her fantasies about blowing up the White House. I really think that Christians have to be very careful in what they align themselves with, how they speak out about these matters. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Number two, the second point I want to make is that the way that I see President Trump, and this is something that's been helpful to me, and maybe it'll be helpful to you, I don't know. But the way that I see Trump is that I primarily see him as an unbeliever. Now, I don't have any personal knowledge about Trump's spiritual condition. Um, he does seem to be going through the motions of some kind of civil religion at, at the moment. Uh, he made quite a mention of the Creator and God in his inauguration speech. He went and attended the inaugural uh, prayer um, prayer service yesterday morning, which that was an interesting conversation in and of itself. Um, but you know, so there is some kind of civil religion that he seems to be adhering to right now and going through the motions of. But really, I don't think it's a controversial point to say that up until the campaign, Trump has pretty much lived the life of an unbeliever. I, and that seems to be the, the fruit that we would see there. Now, it could be that this whole experience of becoming the president, 
uh, maybe that'll bring him closer to God. And if that happens, great. You know, that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, but in the meantime, if, if that happening here, here's how I see a lot of what he's said and done is he's an unbeliever. Uh, he's been acting in his life up until the campaign, like someone who doesn't know God. Um, he's done and said, we might say a lot of unwise things. He's uh, done some hurtful things. Uh, some would say he's done some dangerous things. Um, I think it's a non-controversial point to say that he displays contradictory views about women and minorities. On the one hand, there's many reports from women and minorities that he's a very fair person, he's a very nice person, that he hires women, that, you know, there's all of those reports. Then there's some other reports that he has engaged in sexual harassment and possibly abusive behavior. So, you know, he's a complex, he's a complex person. Um, I think it's quite possible that Trump might be, uh, if you were to look at him from the standpoint of the psychological profiles, I, I think that it's quite possible he might be a narcissist. Um, and I think that actually probably almost anyone who runs for president has to be a narcissist on some level. This is kind of, I see it as a spectrum issue. So we could debate, you know, like how far down the spectrum is Trump? That's a different issue. But, um, you know, I think that it's quite possible. There's a lot of things that he says and does. And I know somebody who's a narcissist and it, there's a lot of echoes of that there. And, and I think that um, that's quite possible that, that he is a narcissist. Um, so what's the solution to all of these things? Well, under our current system, we can vote him out in four years. If he breaks certain laws, we can try to legally impeach him. Um, but I think in lieu of that, from, from a Christian standpoint, I think what we ought to do is to focus on praying for him to ask the Lord of the harvest to send harvest workers across President Trump's path to bring him the gospel, or if he's already a Christian or a baby Christian, to help him grow more in his faith so that it will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. To me, that is the best short-term solution and, and way to pray for him. Now, the way that we view unbelievers is... Um, not that they have no value. Uh, we pray for their salvation. That's one thing I already mentioned. But we ought to view all unbelievers as being people who are created in the image of God. Only humans, according to the early chapters of Genesis, have been created in the image of God. And as a result, we would say classically uh, Christian teaching is that uh, humans who are created in the image of God because they are in the image of God. They deserve certain uh, value and dignity and respect. They're not, their, their value is not based on their function. It is based intrinsically because they are a uh, creation of God and created in his image. So this would also include people from other religions. This would include Muslims. This would include people who are a part of the LGBT community. And this also includes liberals and conservatives, that all humans are created in the image of God and they deserve 
dignity and respect. And I would say this also includes the president. Um, so in light of that reality, I would say that when Christians call people names, whether they call Muslims names or members of the LGBT community names or, or whether we call liberals names or conservatives names, when we call people names, uh, or when people call us names, we're not acting in a way that's consistent with them being in, created in the image of God. When somebody calls us a name or, or kind of invites us into an argument, we don't necessarily have to show up for that argument. Our response ought to be to love them back. And more about that in a minute. So just because somebody says something stupid, ignorant, uh, untrue, doesn't mean that we have the right to... Um, to kind of go against their dignity, to disrespect them, because that would be violating the image of God. So here's my little tip here is that when we're on social media and we're speaking a constant stream of what I call word curses or negative words over another human being, even if they're not in the same room with us, we are tearing down their dignity. When we speak negative words and word curses over someone in front of our children, we're tearing down that person's dignity and we're teaching our children how to think about our leaders as, as Christians. So, and this is on both sides of the politics. This has nothing to do with conservative or liberal. Um, so whether we're telling and posting uh, jokes about the president, Trump or Obama or whoever, or we're tearing them down verbally we're assaulting them verbally. We are at war with that person in our heart. And that is not how we ought to be with one another who are created in the image of God. And that really brings me to my third point. And that is that our call as Christians is to love everyone, including the president from the party that we are not part of, or if we are part of and we don't like him, uh, including the president and including people we don't agree with. And I find it fascinating that in the passage on Romans 13 that we read earlier about uh, respecting the authorities, the very next thought under that is love. So if we start at verse 8, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, this is so interesting to me. Because if love is the fulfillment of the law, and part of that says love does no harm to our neighbor. Well, it does harm to our neighbor when we are ripping them down verbally. And it does harm to our neighbor, our children, when we are ripping down our leaders in front of them because that's damaging our children's soul too. Now, that's not to say that we have to agree with everything, but part of our job as Christian parents is to role model how to have civil dialogue, how to disagree with somebody without um, kind of being a jerk about it and to teach our children how to do that as well. And the number one way we do that is by how we role model things, how we are in the house and 
at our kitchen table and how we're talking about our leaders. And so the real question is, is how can I love others better? How can I love people from the other political party better? How can I love the president better? How can I love my children better or my spouse better? Um, and that, you know, is, is a very central and very imminently practical question in all of this. So what does this look like when we are talking about politics and even on social media? Well, here's a couple of things to think about. If you find yourself constantly in a mode of reacting with thoughts like, well, I hate that. That's so stupid. That person's so stupid. Those people are wrong. Or you have feelings of constant suspicion about others and because they're part of a different group that you don't belong to or that you have beliefs about. And you're probably not operating from a place of love. If you're calling people name, if you're putting joke memes on your social feed just at the expense of ripping down other human beings, if you're making a lot of reactionary statements, that's probably not coming from a place of love in your soul. Um, and have you ever noticed that, that engaging in all this negativity is really kind of emotionally exhausting? Am I the only one that notices that? Like you're just in that conversation and it's just exhausting. Reading these posts is exhausting for me. And so you might have to hide some posts from your feed from other people. You might have to think about hiding some posts in your feed that you know will get you reactionary. You might have to actually stop clicking on articles uh, that you know will be reactionary for you and instead step back and start asking the Lord, how can I love people better? You could ask yourself, you know, does this action promote love or division? Um, I think that many of us are not loving each other well. Um, and again, this is not about politics. It's not about Republicans versus Democrats. It's all of us together as Christians. Are we loving each other well? And I think a big part of loving each other well is dialogue and inviting dialogue, inviting feedback. You know, how am I hurting anybody by, by this? And am I alienating friends and family members by showing up this way for the dialogue? Am I being kind toward others? I mean, we may not like the president, but we need to figure out a way or start asking the Lord for a way of, if I was in the same room with that person, could I be kind to them? Could I come at them with the love of Christ? And if I can't, if I can't imagine myself being kind to that person, then maybe I better step back and start getting in a deeper conversation with the Lord about my heart and, and begin to repent of, some of those um, agreements that I've made in anger, maybe with the enemy even, to um, just stay in an angry posture. Because you see, we can't love people well when we are at war with them in our hearts. It, it just doesn't work that way. And whatever we are in private, if we're at war with somebody in our hearts or in private, then that is an expression of our true heart. That's an expression of really where we're at. Um, if we're constantly saying things like, well, he's so annoying or I hate him, then we are at war with that person. And if we're, even if we're doing it in private, even if we're not doing it in front of that person, that's not loving well. So we have to become 
to the place where we're, we're repenting of our sins. We're repenting of, of these kind of word curses that we're speaking over other people, people from other points of view, politicians, and, and all of that sort of thing. Those are, those are all things that matter. Here's another way of thinking about this. I thought this was great. This is a quote that was posted today that I saw on social media by somebody that I, I admire, uh, Jean Marie Jobs. Uh, she probably doesn't remember me, but I, I know who she is. But um, anyway, she had this great quote. It says, are you a party that people want to come to? I thought that was just a great way of saying it. Are you like a miserable person that nobody really wants to be around because you're so negative, especially when you're talking about politics? You're not a party that people want to come to. But if you're in a posture of love and kindness, affirmation and um, dialogue, open dialogue and being willing to be wrong and being willing to reexamine your positions and trying to dig deeper on the facts and, and really being fact oriented, then that's a party that people want to come to. But we as Christians even have a higher calling because we're supposed to be an invitation for people to come who are our enemies. Are you a party that even your enemies want to come? That's how kind you are. That is a tall order, but that is the kind of Christianity that really speaks of Jesus's love. And, you know, sometimes I see in the social justice world, you know, I see a lot on Twitter, there's a lot of angry people in the social justice world and they're talking about peace and they're talking about love, but they don't really have a posture of either one. And that's not a party I want to go to. These are not many of these people. Many of these social justice warriors don't seem to be kind people. They talk a lot about kindness and they talk a lot about um, being in a posture of openness and acceptance and this sort of thing. But they're actually not a party I want to go to. They just don't seem like nice people. And so that's, that's just another way of thinking about it for yourself of, of what is my stand? Am I really showing love? So I want to leave this with three prayers for the president for, or for any politician or any person in leadership. And that is the first one is that, again, that he would, the president would truly walk in a relationship with the real Lord Jesus Christ. That, that the Lord would send harvest workers to preach the gospel to the president and to help him grow in his faith. I think that's a great prayer that you can pray for any president on any given day. Secondly, I pray that the president would surround himself with wise and godly advisors. And it certainly seems that to some extent, Trump has done that in a few cases. Uh, they, there are some of his advisors that maybe are more questionable, but I think there are some people in that mix that do seem to be godly people. And so pray that Trump would continue to, to meet those kind of people and invite them into his inner circle so that they can uh, weigh in on those conversations. And thirdly, we can pray for the safety and protection of the president and his family. That's always a good provision that we can make for, for our president and for our leaders that we can ask the Lord for, okay? I hope that some of this has been helpful to you. I hope that if you're feeling stressed out, do what you have to do to take care of your soul. And if that means just not engaging with a lot of the negativity on social media, stay off of social media for a while. Maybe you need to block some friends. Maybe you need to rethink your strategy of how you use social media. And that's okay because you want to, social media is a great tool, 
but at the same time, you don't want it to do damage to your soul. And all those little things that you see and that you click on, those, those all can begin to weigh on you after a while. So if you're noticing problems, that's okay. Just regroup, ask the Lord how to help you in that. Anyways, I look forward to your comments and I want to thank you for watching. Happy Sunday night and I hope you have a blessed week. Thanks. Bye-bye.